So welcome to the Love Fly podcast. It's Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach for 25 years. And today we're talking about flying at night. And I'm joined by my good friend, Captain Steve Bull. to be back yeah so we're we're talking about flying at night this has come up as a question quite a few times actually uh, very recently yeah come up very recently and I thought rather than just sort of say it's fine because it's such a big thing thought mm. it might be quite nice to explore it a little bit in the podcast so for sure so why should we be okay about flying at night in your sure opinion? No, and it is a good question, and, uh, and in fact, it doesn't come up that, that often, so it's, it's nice to actually hear people uh, thinking about it. So um, a couple of things that we have to achieve when we become uh, pilots, uh, airline pilots, uh, we not only get an airline transport pilot license gifted to us once we've passed all the exams and assessments, but we also have to have two other things, and it's one is a night rating, and another one is called an instrument rating. And which means a night rating, flying at night, and an instrument rating means that we can fly solely and completely by the use of instruments once we leave the ground. And that includes returning back to land completely in fog without visibility. So as soon as we lift off the ground, because there is no such thing as an automatic takeoff uh, yet. Uh, there are some military capabilities of that kind of thing however with airliners uh, we don't and we take them in. and as soon as literally we leave the runway and i mean from the moment the wheels leave the ground we do not need to look outside uh, we can then solely fly on on uh, uh, the use of instruments so an instrument obviously means it doesn't matter whether it's dark or whether it's in cloud or that. it just means that we don't have to see in order to fly from a to b we can navigate and fly precisely how we want to by the use of the instruments in front of us so but at night time it, it is a is a phenomenon that people think about as i know and so it's not like driving your car on a motorway where there is uh, oncoming traffic or or, or doing a motorway on a, any a roads there is no traffic oncoming uh, within your vicinity because uh, when we fly we get assigned although we do fly on routes motorways or airways as we call them uh, but we're assigned those and Air traffic control know who's going down those airways, motorways, if you like. And but the traffic coming the opposite way, we are separated by uh, what it is now a minimum of 1000 feet. So there's nothing that's coming down the same level and the same direction as, as us. And if someone was behind us, they would be preceding us by 10 miles which sounds uh, obviously an awful lot. So you can see the separation. Imagine if we were all driving up the motorway with 10 miles behind each other. It'd be, well, it'd be fabulous, wouldn't it? <laughs> you could I'm quite safer, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Damn, damn right. Even That's... if you just did the, because remember the old adverts? Only a fool breaks the two-second rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's you know, you don't even see that on motorways, autobahns, no. whatever. You just see people driving up people's butts. Absolutely. Just, yeah. At ridiculous speeds. And yeah. It, Sorry. Anyway, yeah, 10 miles apart. Yeah. So yeah, distance, lap, separation. Yeah. And vertically a thousand feet. So and that's what and 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 that's the thing. And we are radar controlled, which again would be wonderful on the roads if we were radar controlled, not mm. to be idiots, you know. 
So, and it goes back to this thing that on your Love Fly courses, um, we often talk about what's involved in aviation safety wise. And that is just one of the, you know, the, the ideas of the safety that's involved because, you know, people don't think about just getting into their cars every day and what's involved because if you did think of it, you know, you wouldn't do it. Whereas that's why it's not just a saying that the safest form of transport is, is flying, you know. Yeah, because what we're trying to actually do is make you totally okay with flying, but scared of buses, cars, (laughs) trains. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not our goal, is it? But it is just about balancing perceived risk versus actual risk. And that's what people have got completely around the wrong way when it comes to commercial aviation because of things like you've just said. No, exactly. And and the flying bit in that, you know, do we see things at night? And yeah, you know, you can see other aeroplanes in, in the sky. I mean, you know, they're a long way away. Your eye thinks they're a lot closer than they are. But, um, mm. but we have radar on our own aeroplane. We have avoidance systems, you know, so. If, so, um, so how long? So I get so you've got 10 miles in front and behind. OK, so you put your the thing is that people will be thinking, yeah, but 10 miles isn't far if you're going at four million miles an hour like you. Have <laughs> but you're all staggered to be flying and you have a set speed that you have to fly at to keep that 10 mile separation. You've got the 1000 above and below. What about to the side of you? That's correct. So, um, so crossing areas will, you know, uh, so for example, if we're um, over the Atlantic, you know, you'll be 30 miles laterally separated in, in that sense. So yeah, airways don't run parallel like the A3 runs parallel to the M25. You know, we, Mm. you know, the airways are designated uh, not to, to, to infringe on, on that. Airways, yes, they do cross, but you'll be crossing at different altitudes at, at, at yeah. that point. So this is really helpful. So, the, so just to sort of recap, you've got all of these set routes that you're going at a set speed that you've been told to, to stay at, which keeps mm. the separation in front and behind. You've got yes. the height difference as well, the 1,000 feet, and then That's you've got 30 miles to the side of you. Yes, on, on the on the oceanic tracks, and sometimes in it can be uh, reduced to whatever deemed you know whatever state laws can be, mm. but it won't be any any less than than what we've talked about. Because and going back to a very good point when you said, well, what happens if you because we fly around at 500, 600 miles an hour, but of course the aeroplane in front of you is doing a very similar yes. speed. So, yes. so, but there are aeroplanes faster than others, absolutely, because we have all have different cruising speeds. So if you start to encroach on that thing, so air traffic control get a warning in your, and then what they will do, and it's very, very clever, they don't just say, stop, you know, and <laughs> pull over. What happens is more often than not, they ask you to, uh, to avoid this by changing altitudes. Now, if you can't because of the weight of the airplane and you've got too much, then of course they will ask you to reduce speed or in some cases, ask the person in front to increase speed, you must maintain a minimum speed. So it's very, very clever. It's monitored constantly. Mm. And yeah, as we've said on previous calls, air traffic control is just a, an amazing gift that we we all have. But we also have our own backup uh, radars on the, on the aeroplane. But yes, there is a minimum separation of all aeroplanes in the sky, unlike other forms of transport. And that's how we're protected. Um, okay, so let's just go... So we'll get on to fatigue and all that sort of stuff and yeah. the, all shortly, but I was curious as well, could you perhaps make a link as well? Something we've talked about in the past about the TCAS. 
people may not have heard of that. And oh yes, because people always thinking, what if, what if? So what if you? Yes, because you have a you have more than one radar, don't you? You've got more than yes. one system for everything. Yes, but what yes. if the, all you know? So just talk through all the different backup systems, and then talk through the worst case scenario: air traffic control gets blown up. Uh, you've got all your radar, everything's gone. Then what? You know, so that's that's people will be doing the catastrophizing. So just let's no. help, let's help them. Absolutely. So onboard aeroplanes now, and it's a fabulous thing that um, was was invented. It's called a TCAS, as you quite rightly said. So TCAS stands for Traffic Collision Avoidance System, and all aeroplanes in the sky now mandatory to carry these. And basically, what it is exactly what you said. If if for some unbelievable reason why air traffic control would fail. We have systems on board an aeroplane where each aeroplane interrogates each other. So if we did get too close and infringe on each other, our radar systems, of which you're correct, we have two, so always there's a redundancy, a backup. So it tells one aeroplane to do one thing and the other aeroplane to do completely opposite. So one aeroplane, for example, will be told to climb and the other aeroplane will be told to descend. And it's all based on timing so it doesn't matter what speed you're closing at it's it's a closure rate in time and uh, yeah so that's what we have you know as a, an onboard system all the time so if somebody you know uh, the cleaner in the air traffic control center accidentally was wheeling along with their trolley and pulled out the plug and all the radars went down <laughs> that's not going to happen by the way the screens went blank then that's how we would fly around we have procedures for loss of communications how we actually carry on and which airways we you know we etc so that's that's a very complicated system to talk about but that's all something part of our licenses yeah and that's really useful and for those who've just been concerned that that sort of thing could ha- happen at air traffic there is a podcast episode a little while ago where i i interviewed somebody from air traffic and they talk about all that sort of stuff because they've got also got backup systems for backup yeah. systems just like everything in commercial av- aviation is always about what if what if this happens okay so if that happens if we lose this system what's our backup and what's our backup for that and it's, it's always about backup 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 and it that's is. what i'm hoping people will get a sense of so even so you've got this instrument rating got the night rating which is a separate thing so yes. I've seen when they've been when you've been in the simulators where they want to simulate that, that even put in um, like putting screens in front of the, the so that you can't you can't see anything, like putting um, blinds on the windows and stuff. Yep. So you, all, everything's that's, gone. So you're literally doing it, it on instruments, and, I, yes. and that sounds quite unnerving to be honest. Yeah, no, it's um, when you first start out as a as a young cadet pilot. Or an old cadet pilot, of course. Uh, it's it is. It's um. It's it's bizarre. You're taxing out to the runway, and you you um. And yes, the the airplanes are equipped with all these these screens. Yeah, you literally take off, and as the gear goes up, the examiner or the instructor just leans across and and slides the last screen across the windscreen. So it's it's pointless trying to you know <laughs> peek out of a, of a tiny crack in the because it's not going to do you any good. And then you literally have to learn to fly sort of speed, heading, altitude and stuff, literally by just watching instruments, not just because um, when you first start flying, of course, it's, it's all visual and you get a very good idea of, you know, uh, we call that VMC, visual uh, meteorological conditions. Yeah. And, you know, you look for airfields, you look for places to fly to, and that, you know, and that's uh, and some amazing pilots still have that gift you know to just be able to fly completely naturally by by looking which is amazing 
airline flying is completely different, of course, because it's a huge amount of accuracy involved. So an instrument rating is imperative to be able to operate like that. Yeah. Um, do you ever get disorientated? So if you do, so you're at night, and obviously you've got you can look at the horizon and stuff. Mm. But do you, so you know, I always wonder you get confused where you yeah. are, which way up you are, or anything. Well, exactly. So and that's um, people. You know, if if they Googled um, certain accidents that have happened, and and you often um, and it is it's it's tragic, really. You often get to hear about accidents on the on the television that reported. And not that I'm pointing, but, you know, you hear of a, a, a private pilot with his own aeroplane was taking mm. his family to X, Y and Z and all that. And sadly, when you look into these stories, and, you know, sometimes, you, you know, they, well, the famous one is that, without me bumming, is the Kennedys, the son of John F. Kennedy, or one of the sons. And he flew his family from, I think it was Miami to um, one of the islands. Anyway, they took off late because uh, for whatever reason they were getting to their, their island out in the Bahamas, something like that. And they left late. And he was not, he was only a visual conditions pilot. You know, he, he'd not done his night rating, not done instrument rating. And they took right. off in the dark. And there's your answer. He got totally disorientated. He had no idea which way was up or down. And, and you wouldn't do. Just by looking out, because yeah. you know, we fly around with the force of gravity of 1G, i.e. that's what you weigh in the seat of the other. If you, if you did a perfect sort of, you know 180 onto its back if you did it perfectly you wouldn't feel any different and that's how people get disorientated so um that's why we don't get a an airline transport pilot's license without an instrument rating because we then have to learn completely and we have dials and it's called an artificial horizon just for if one looks at so if you see pictures of a cockpit so look for a big um, instrument in front of the pilots and now it's a tv screen and uh, it's blue on the top and brown on the bottom, i.e. blue sky above and brown is the earth. You've got to spell it out for pilots. Then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be colourblind, of course. But they can't be, can't be colourblind as a pilot, can they? Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and we learn to fly by that thing called an artificial horizon, and then all the speed and altitude and heading all comes in as an extra. But our main instrument is the artificial horizon, and it tells us which way we are in reference to the earth, and, uh, and that's how we can fly so you're, um, that's brilliant. That makes sense. So you're, you're whizzing along, you're in cloud, you're coming into an airport, it's foggy, can't mm, see very much. Mm, How can you see where you're going? So add in night as well. Do you get fog yeah. at night? I guess you must. I don't yeah. know if you've known. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in the winter and early hours of the morning. So, um, um, yeah, well, this is, this is the other beautiful thing. So not only are we flying on the use of instruments, but we also, in that sense, because we can't see to land, we land automatically. So it's called an auto land. And there are certain procedures we put in place in order to for us to fly the instrument landing system approach onto a runway fully automated. And not only are we trained to do that, but again, there are extra safety measures put in place by air traffic control for when we are landing mm. automatically. Because the separation is now increased want any interference with any ground uh, radar etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah it's it's just one of those things that we have to and every six months that we talked about you know when we go into the simulator before we have to uh, renew our what's called our low visibility operations procedures our lvos and that's something that we train again and every six months we're put through that test as well as part of our ongoing uh, license so so how does it actually, so how does an aircraft actually 
what what is it following to get to that point yeah. where you you want it to land an ILS it's called instrument landing system so at the end of a runway uh, so a very clever piece of radio uh, aids and um, sends a beam uh, to our aeroplane not only laterally but obviously uh, vertically as well the vertical bit's called the glide slope and the lateral bit's called the localizer mm. and then it is a fan shaped thing and we literally have to come down in this what we call a, a funnel all the way to the ground yeah. so our instrument now is trying to attach onto the middle of obviously the glide slope and the middle of the localizer taking mm. you right towards the you know, it's the, the same center. thing that pilots follow as well when you're coming into land. Exactly. It? it doesn't matter whether we're doing automatically or, or manually. So that we would follow it manually uh, in order to get to the two diamonds in the middle for the glide slope and the localizer. But automated, obviously, the autopilot does that for us. But Which is better, the autopilot landing or pilot pilot landing? Oh, goodness. Pilot pilot every time. <laughs> of course you're going to say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to keep my job. Remember, remember a firm landing is a good landing. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, actually, that's a very good question, good comment, because there were been quite a few comments in the Facebook group, the Love Fly, Overcome Fear of Flying Facebook group, around yes. exactly that, you know, the uh-huh. and why it's okay to do a firm landing. I always say it's, and I often say, you know, that's the, they're supposed to do firm landings. It's, it's this... Yeah. When you're trying to get it just right and you're just floating yeah. in, it it eats up runway time, doesn't it? It does. You um, to, in order to to uh, to kiss the wheels on the runway and all the passengers go, oh my god, that's the most amazing land I'm going to fly with this airline. Yeah, <laughs> you're actually chewing up a lot of runway because you're having to sort of literally parallel the surface of the runway in order for the wheels then to mm. do. So, airplanes are actually designed to hit the ground in a in a positive manner. I say hit the ground, land on the yeah, ground. firmly. Because there firmly. was that one recently, I talked about this on one of the Facebook Lives. Do you, yes. know, can you remember it a few weeks ago? And yeah, too, yeah. yeah. The, there was some tyres burst on landing, and I was speculating that basically someone was going to get a right rollicking. Yes. They they've probably have landed it too firmly, but I was talking about all the, the backup systems, you know, in terms of when you look at the bogey, which has got yes. the wheel there's two wheels for a reason you know you don't need you need two wheels because you need you, you want to have that extra redundancy or capacity and i was saying that you know uh, when you used to look at I me mean, on the dreamliner how many how many actual tires do you have uh, so we on the the main undercarriage we have uh two trucks as it were that have four wheels. so we've got eight at the back and two at the front yeah like a jumbo 747 has 16, you know, because obviously the, the bigger the weight. And, you know, mm. and so those, they're all doubled up, aren't they? So yes, they deliberately, are. just in case there is a, a tire burst. Yeah. Again, redundancy and something that we practice again in our six monthly checks, you know, landing uh, with tire bursts and tires out and brakes out, et cetera, et cetera. So um, just out of my head, I mean, just a, for people to you know talk about firm landing so if they watch those military jets landing on an aircraft carrier well, that, that, that gives you some idea of what airplanes can withstand you know mm. that there is no you know, there's no floating or flaring of finesse in that you, you're, they drive those airplanes towards the, the, the deck of the ship you know with, and that's what undercarriages are built to withstand they, they have to be you know so, so. yeah yeah so they're super, super strong super so yeah. So just to sort of finish off the flying at night stuff then, how does it work in terms of 
you lot must get tired. I mean, I know you're superhumans, but you are still a, a breed of human. Uh, yeah. How does that work with this the sleeping stuff? Yeah, night night flying is is a is a normal thing for us, and it's just part of our you know, especially if you're a long haul pilot like myself. So literally every other other flights and can be a night flight. Sometimes they can all be night flights, you know. Mm. Um, it's because we, we we do fly at very odd hours and stuff, but we get some people, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, or that they might be our days off. You know, weekends mean nothing to us. So we're resting during the day when we go to hotels. You know, we 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 arrive at hotels at all sorts of odd hours that no normal folk would be wanting to check in at and um and we just get used to sleeping you know when we're so we'll sleep eight hours of a day or night you know depending on where we are around the world because because of the time change stuff so yeah it's up to us as as pilots in order to just rest before a flying duty and it doesn't matter that we take off at midnight at night i know that's kind of strange for the, the folk at home or the passengers on the back because what happens yeah. the wheels go up they go to sleep so yeah you know well that's uh, the but, ideal isn't it try and get some exactly. sleep because yeah. some people get very disorientated they're saying you know what do you do if you look out the window you can't really get a sense of the horizon and uh, and i was saying exactly. well that's that's what we all suffer from the only people that don't feel like that is the pilots because you've got yeah. your artificial horizon you've got all your instruments Absolutely. So, but the cabin crew everyone who's working and or trying to sleep down the back you all yeah. feel a bit sort of weird and a bit floaty because you, you just can't make sense of where you are. But it is, a, I always say, it's still a firm surface. You're, you're still on as firm. It's an artificial firm surface, just like the deck of a ship is. Absolutely. It's still a firm surface, you know, so you're, it's just a piece of mobile earth, for want of <laughs> expression. It is. It is a moving hotel. No, I called right? it that. <laughs> yeah, no, brilliant. I like it. And and yes, and, and don't forget as well, we haven't done a day's work before the night. As you said. Some people might have come from, you know, a, a day's work or meeting or, or being up all day, which you normally would do before a holiday, whereas air crew aren't. We, yeah. you know, we are liberally resting at that, at that yeah. point. So and I think also the fact that you can be more tired on, not you, but passengers are more tired. And so it, it can exacerbate feelings of fear or anxiety because yeah. you feel tired anyway and you just want to get some sleep and then you're getting messed around. You've got your sort of, you know, the temperature can be variable in the cabin and yes, yeah. lots of noises going on and lights coming on, people with reading lights. It's, a, it's not exactly a relaxing environment anyway, is it, compared to no. the calm that's no. up the front where you are? Oh, no, no, completely. No, it's far better to be up the front mm. than the yeah, I'm a useless passenger myself. <laughs> yeah, I get really restless. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, I think that's the the bulk of the the questions that, that were coming up. That's really helpful. The other thing that just caught my eye is that you know, your 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 dogs in the background there. So Steve has got a horse disguised disguised as a dog. It just it just made an appearance on the podcast. You might have heard him jangling in the background. <laughs> he just came in for a walk and he. Had- Attack me up the stairs. <laughs> he's just learned to climb stairs, and it's uh, he loves it. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's like it's like literally massive, isn't he? I don't know. It totally is. Now it's, it's basically it's a horse. It's a horse dog. A horse in a dog's costume. He's, yeah, so. he's constantly in fancy dress. He'll soon be ready for saddling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I think uh, Steve, that was absolutely brilliant. Like we say on all these podcasts. You know, keep following them. Join the Facebook group, which is Love Fly, Fear of Flying, or Love Fly, Love Fly, Overcome Fear of Flying. 
And if you've ever got questions or anything, you can always post them in there. We also have a newsletter, which just keeps you up to date with stuff that's going on, which is on the website, lovefly.co.uk. And if you haven't already, you can get a free copy of the book that's uh, the current book anyway. Uh, working on another one at the moment but yeah so if you want to get those type of things but yeah always fire questions at us because we'll then we can answer them and uh, really grateful to you steve for giving you time to answer um, these questions that was really helpful and i learned a couple of things as well so thank you well well it's a pleasure no keep going because we love talking to them as as you know Paul, so thanks steve <laughs>